Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Thank you. All right, so we are going through the, the, the topic of dispensationalism, and today we get to, to come to the church. Um, as we've gone through it, quick review, we've seen that the most important thing of, of it is the fact that we want to have... Oh, a literal interpretation of God's word. Okay, We saw in 2 Timothy 2.15 that there's the call for us to be diligent to show ourselves approved unto God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or cutting it what? Straight, the word of God. Okay, So the idea is that, again, as you take the word of God and you pull it apart, because we, we tend to do that, we kind of look at verses, that as we look at themes and stuff like that, and we're pulling it apart, when we put it back together again, it what? It fits. It fits properly. Okay. And remember the illustration that a woman who takes the pattern and decides that she doesn't have to necessarily make the suit coat according to the pattern, and the guy comes out looking kind of cattywampus, you know, and say, but I love it! You know, and sadly, that is a lot of doctrines that are in the church today. Okay, that there are people who have taken the word of God and they haven't divided it properly and they brought it back to the other again. Okay, so literal interpretation says that we believe God said what He meant and He meant what He said. It's pretty simple. Um, within the concepts then of um, of the um, dispensationalism, there were four distinctives that we're going to come back to at the very end, that we've gone through each one. There's the literal interpretation. There's the concept of progressive revelation. Anybody remember what that means? What's progressive revelation? He reveals truth over time, continually revealing truth over time. There is the glory of God. So what was that about? Anybody remember? It's all about him, not about man. It's not about man. So even the salvation of man, though it's important, is really about the glory of God. And then finally, the distinction between Israel and the church, which is the predominant one that we're going to see and that we talk about because this opposes dispensationalism. The, the, the reason for this, the reason for us even talking about the importance of it, is because it stands opposed to what is called covenant theology. Okay? And covenant theology takes the church and makes it Israel okay? and gets rid of Israel. And so, therefore, all the covenants that were made to Israel are then applied to the church. We have spent now a couple weeks discussing that. Um, as we've gone through um, this chart, and speaking of that, Andrew, if you want to help me out. Um, so this is the old chart, okay, but this is a new one. If anybody didn't get one of the pamphlets and you'd like one of the, the front and back, I'll print probably this week uh, newer, newer color copies, okay? So if somebody needs one, um, take that. And so it's got definitions on the back of that pamphlet where the wording is, okay? You can look at those. But as we look at these dispensations, okay, we saw that there are three predominant ones. There is before Israel, there's Israel, and there's, I don't want to say after Israel, because it makes it sound like Israel's gone, and I don't mean it that way, but it's the church. Well, next week, when we get into what's called the kingdom, what we're going to see is that there's really this quasi thing that's happening, because the church isn't going to be gone either. God's going to begin to work through Israel one more time, but it doesn't mean that the memory of the church is gone, or the memory of what Christ has done for us on the cross is gone. So there's this quasi um, amalgamation thing that's going to be going on there, but it's predominantly for Israel, okay? And so we'll come back to that. Two weeks ago, we looked at the first three, the age of innocence, age of conscience, and the age of government, okay? Stewardships, 
and we considered each of those. Last week, we looked at the period of Israel, looking at the promise and the law. Today, we want to look at the church, okay? And so, we've got a lot to cover, and um, we want to move quickly. We have communion at the end of this as well. And so, what I did was I put up a lot of the verses up here, and there's so you can look here, or you can be looking ahead at where the verses are coming. They're on your sermon note sheet as well. But the first thing we're going to see is the same pattern as we've seen in each other one, that there are four basic things that we're going to see in each of these dispensations or stewardships that God, that God does, and it reveals them. The first one is it's going to start off with a, a major event, okay, a beginning event. And so this one's pretty simple. We ended last week with Israel, with the destruction of Jerusalem, but what was the other really event that closed off the church age? The, the destruction of Israel really was the boom. But what was the event that actually closes off the, the age of Israel? Anybody remember? The rejection of Christ. And when do we see that? His death on the cross, the crucifixion of Christ. So they, Israel, at that moment, fully rejects. Now we see there was a rejection when he was born. Because the wise men come, they come to worship the newborn king, right? Herod calls for the, 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 wise, uh, the wise men, for the scribes and the, and, the, and the chief priests. They know exactly where he's going to go, but they don't, or where he's going to be born, okay? But they don't go to worship Jesus. They don't go to worship the newborn king. They let the wise men do that. So there, some people believe that there's a rejection even at that moment, that Israel rejected Christ even at his birth. But when we see it in fullness, is at the crucifixion. Because he stands before the Sanhedrin, remember? And the Sanhedrin asks him what? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And what does Jesus say? I am. You've said it. And they say what? Blasphemy. They rip their, 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 their cloaks. They say blasphemy. And they send him out to be crucified. And then they mock him. If you're really the Christ, if you're really Messiah, then what? then come down off the cross and we will believe you now. Think about all the signs that he had done throughout all of his ministry. Did they believe any of those? When, when he raised Lazarus from the dead after four days, what was their response? They started to plot how they could kill him. So the reality was that there was nothing he could do. They had made a decision, and as we saw with the reading this morning in Acts chapter 2, that God, it didn't take God by surprise. It was already according to God's plan. Israel rejects Christ and crucifies him. So, it makes sense. What does the church age really start with? What is the major event that begins the church age? It's the resurrection of Christ. They killed him, but God what? He raised him from the dead. Okay. Now, many people will say Pentecost here, and we're going to look at all these. Okay. But I want to submit to you that Pentecost really wasn't the initial event. It wasn't Pentecost that actually began the church age. But it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ that began the church age. Okay? So what do we see immediately when Christ, is, when Christ is resurrected? Right? So he's resurrected in the morning. Okay? A great while before it was day. The Marys go to the, to the, to the tomb. Right? And, and they see what? They see an empty tomb. Right? But they turn to leave. And, and, and who does Mary see? Jesus, right? Jesus says to her, she goes to, to cling to his, his ankles, right? And she, he says what? Don't cling to me. Why? 
I haven't returned to the Father yet. I haven't, I haven't gone to the Father yet. Okay? And so they go back. They tell Peter, Peter and John, right? Peter and John run to the tomb. And they go, and they see the empty tomb. And it's really all this exciting kind of stuff, right? They see the angel. You know, you're here to see Jesus, yada, yada, yada. Okay? So Jesus is raised, raised from the dead. Then Jesus appears to... What's the next, what's the next thing we see? Who's Jesus appear to next? Disciples on the road to Emmaus. Good. There are two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus appears to them and walks with them and begins to teach them all the things concerning Christ. And then he opens up their eyes as he breaks bread with them, right? And then he's gone. From there, they run from Emmaus all the way back to tell the brethren what they had just seen. They just got back to the upper room, and they're telling all the disciples about what happened to them. And they're all amazed. And while they're in the upper room, what happens? Jesus shows up. <laughs> Jesus, right. Jesus comes to them, right? And in the midst of that, that discussion, okay, it says that same evening, same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Why do you think he did that? To prove that it was really him, right? Okay? Okay. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Sounds like a what? Sounds like a commissioning statement, doesn't it? Sounds like something that Jesus is starting a new, new plan. But look what happens next. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The wording there is extremely important. Go all the way back to that first dispensation, the dispensation of innocence. When did the dispensation of innocence begin? Now, I know it began on day one when God created the heavens and the earth, right? And then he said, let there be light. But realistically, for the stewardship side of it, when did, when did the stewardship part of that dispensation really begin? Creation of man, break it down further. When what? How did, how did man get created? Say it, Brazos. God breathed into him. God breathed life into him. And God, God breathed life into him and made him, and then he gave him what? The do's and don'ts, right? What do we see Jesus, the Word, who creates all things do to begin this new thing? He what? He breathed on He didn't have to breathe on them. All he had to do was just speak it. But he gave him a word picture of some manner. Could you imagine? I, I, I always, there's so many times I would love to have been the fly on the wall. You have the little webcam or whatever just to be. I would love to be in this upper room at this moment to see what was going on at this time. How cool would this have been? Could you imagine being one of the disciples? I mean, you, you're not Peter or John, so you're not even one of the ones who went to the tomb. You're hearing all this. You're hearing it from Mary. Then you hear these two guys run. You know, you hear from Peter and John. Then these two guys run from Emmaus, and you're like, wow, this is mind-boggling. I can't imagine what's going on here. And then all of a sudden, what? Then all of a sudden, there's Jesus. The doors are locked for fear of the Jews. And all of a sudden, there's Jesus. And he says what? Shalom. Shalom. Peace be unto you. Peace. And you're thinking what? That just made me more anxious. 
right? I mean, this is exciting. So he does what? He shows him his hands and he shows him his side. Look, it's really me. It really is. Wow. And so he said to him again, what? Shalom. It kind of makes sense. Because the first time he said shalom to him, they were opposite of shalom, you know? So he says shalom to him again. And then he immediately, immediately gives him the commission. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. We could, I wish I had time to break out that statement. It's a huge, powerful statement to me. I mean, there's, a, there's, a, there's an equative thing happening. As the Father sent me, just as I sent me, I'm sending you. And then he does what? He does a very purposeful, visible act. He breathes on them and tells them to do what? Receive the Holy Spirit. Did they receive the Holy Spirit at that moment or not? Do you believe in literal interpretation? I do. I don't think Jesus just said that. I think what was happening at this moment was Jesus was breathing into them the Holy Spirit of God. I believe what happened on Acts 2 was the, the, the demonstrative power of the Holy Spirit coming upon. There's a difference between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and, if you would, the power of the Holy Spirit being displayed. Does that make sense? You see miracles happen, but they don't happen 24-7. That's what makes them a what? A miracle. I mean, if it happened every day, it would be commonplace. It wouldn't be a, a miracle. Does it make sense? The disciples didn't speak in tongues from this moment. They didn't speak in tongues actually from the moment of Acts 2 on. They spoke in tongues when? On Pentecost for a period of time, a short period of time, when the Jews were in town. We don't read about it continually. We read about it as a sign to the Jews. There was no need for a sign at this moment. What was the sign for the disciples? Think about this. What was the sign? Jesus, Jesus himself. His hands. His side. He said, I'm here. And the other ones, we, we, we read, he tells Thomas to do what? When he comes back for Thomas, eight, seven days later, eight days later, remember? Because Thomas isn't here this night. So Thomas is still what? He's still doubting. Jesus comes back a week later. And what does he tell Thomas to do? Touch him. <laughs> Go ahead, Thomas. Put your finger here. He doesn't have to say it to these guys. They're overwhelmed. They get it, right? Thomas, he's hearing the testimony from all these people all week, and he's still saying what? Ah, I won't believe it until I see it. Right? Did you ever say that? Yeah. And so Jesus comes back to Thomas and says what? Hey, Thomas, guess what? It's really real. Here, touch me. And what does Thomas do? He falls down at Jesus' feet and cries out what? My Lord and my God. Whether he said Adonai or whether he said Yahweh, there's a debate. I think he cried out Yahweh Adonai. I think he cried out Yahweh Elohim. That, that, that he recognized who Jesus was. That Jesus was Yahweh in the flesh. Because Yahweh had said that he would come and he would be in their midst. And I think he recognized at that very moment everything Jesus had stated was true. And he was overwhelmed. Jesus didn't rebuke him. He didn't say, whoa, 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 get up, get up, worship God only. He accepted the worship, which meant what? He was God. This is a powerful time going on, okay? So we see Jesus do this, and then the next thing we see, in Matthew 28, same time frame, but now, later, just getting closer to the time of the ascension, and I'm sorry that the pink is very hard to see. 
I, I was trying to do the words of Jesus in red, and I know from experience the red you can't not see, so I tried to do a bright pink here. But anyways, but Jesus, you know this passage this is the Great Commission, what we call the Great Commission, but as you can see, they had already been what? Commissioned. This is very important, okay, when we get into this. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. I want to submit to you for a moment that this word go, right there, is an aorist participle. Okay? That there is only one verb here. I'm going to break this out real quick. There's only one verb here. He says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Okay? There's only one verb here, and the verb is make disciples. Jesus, Jesus commanded his disciples to make disciples. Okay? There are three other verb-sounding things to us in English. They are all participles. Participles are the flower of the Greek language. Okay? They are um, verbal adjectives that describe the verb. Okay? The first one is go. The second one is baptize. And the third one is teach. That's how you make disciples. Baptizing and teaching are present participles. Go is an aorist participle. Okay? Zoe, I'll pick on you because Andrew's looking at me like, don't do this to me, Dad. So, Zoe, what's an aorist participle? What, what's special, when we look at a participle toward the verbs, what, 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 is it, what makes that special? Well, okay, aorist is punctiliar, okay? So, with a, with a participle, okay, a participle is according to the action of the leading verb, okay? So, the leading verb here is present tense, okay? It would happen before it, that's right. An aorist, okay, so, so you have past, present, and future, right? This kind of makes sense, okay? So... The term aorist, okay, is, is past tense. It's past tense punctiliar. Don't worry about all that. Just mean that it's past tense, okay? So if I, I know, I know. Just, just hang with me. This is very important. This is very important, okay? Make disciples is a present tense thing. It's, Jesus is talking in present tense, which means they're supposed to be doing it when? Now, okay? Baptizing them is present parsable, which means it's at the same time, happening at the same time as the verb. So, making disciples, baptizing them, same time. Teaching is a present tense parsable, which means it's pointing back to the present tense verb, meaning it's happening now. The word go here, I don't think should be translated as go. It's aorist. It's past tense which means that from the perspective of the leading verb, it's in the past. You get it? It's already happened. What happened in John chapter 20? Jesus commissioned them. He said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. What did the disciples do in the next, during the next month? They went fishing. They went fishing. And Jesus went to Galilee to get them when they were fishing. And Jesus says to them then, having been sent, is literally what it says. Having been sent, make disciples. He's not recommissioning them here. He's reminding them, look, as the Father sent me, 
So send I you. When Jesus first appeared to Peter, Peter was on the, uh, on the, uh, the shore, right? And what was he doing? He wasn't fishing. He was mending his nets. He was fixing. He had been fishing. Okay, that's okay. But you're going where I'm going, right? So he had been fixing, right? He had been fishing, and now he's mending his nets. And Jesus says to him, what? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What did Jesus say his purpose on earth was then? To fish, to make disciples. And if you follow him, what's he going to do? Make a disciple maker. Does that make sense? I mean, so what he's telling the disciples then is, look, I've already sent you. I told you, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. You went fishing instead. So, having been sent, what? Make disciples. Baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. All this goes on, and then we get to Acts 1, okay? In Acts 1, we have the ascension of Christ, and at the ascension of Christ, the disciples are wondering, are you going to bring the kingdom right now? And he says, look, it's, it's not for you to know those times and seasons. But power is going to come upon you when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be witnesses for me in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and where? To the uttermost parts of the world, right? But I want you to wait here in Jerusalem until that power comes. So what do we see, if you would, the church do? They gathered together to what? To pray. They went into the upper room. And they prayed. And to show you that they were already seeing themselves as a unit, they already made a decision in Acts 1. And that they needed to fulfill Judas's spot as an apostle. They said, well, Judas killed himself, and so therefore we need to what? We get, need to get a replacement. They already saw themselves as a, as a group of people. They're praying together. And now they're just waiting for what? The sign to appear to them that Jesus had brought. Okay? And so that's what we see and then in Acts 2 okay, that Steve read this morning. The Holy Spirit falls upon him. The sign comes. The sign is to the Jews so that they can witness to the, the Jews. Okay? So the church now is official. Jesus commissioned them. He recommissioned them, if you would. And now he has empowered them. And they're moving forward. And we don't have time to go through the rest of Acts 2 and the 3 and 4 and all that kind of stuff. You can read the book of Acts. It's so exciting, right? It's all about the early church. So, in this church age, then, what is the responsibility or test that now we have? Well, it's the same as it always has been. And that is by faith, that we're supposed to obey the plan of God. Well, what's the plan of God that God has put out? Well, it's pretty simple. Jesus said it in John 6. Then, he, then they said to him, that is Jesus, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you what? Believe in him whom he has sent. This is pretty simple. What are we supposed to do? What's the work of God that we're supposed to do? Believe. Believe. And that's what Peter said up there in Acts 2, a part of that whole Pentecost thing, right? They, they cry out, what must we do to be saved? Same thing. So Jesus or Peter says what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be what? 
baptized. Oh, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, right? And so the whole idea is that you need to be identified with who Jesus is. Be identified with Jesus Christ. The idea is that you're going to accept the plan of God, and you're going to what? And you're going to follow it. By faith, you will believe. Titus 2, verse 11 to 14. The grace of God, which brings salvation, has appeared to all men. How many people? All men. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to so all men are without excuse. Do you get this? Okay. I really believe that God has a way of letting every person on the face of the earth know what the truth is. He does it differently for everybody. Right? Ricky, I'm not going to share, share your testimony, but I'm just thinking about that like with us we were talking about yesterday, right? You're just laying on the floor and the radio begins to play. And, where's, where does it, and it's playing a gospel station. Where's the gospel station come from? And there's a gospel message, and the guy says, you need to do this. And I, again, I don't want to steal the whole thing. This is a great testimony. Anyways, he gets saved, laying on the floor from the radio being played. How cool is that? Okay? God makes sure that everybody what? Here's the message. In whatever way it takes, God says, so the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that of dying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is exciting. Jesus Christ, see this? He what? Has appeared. He has appeared. He what? He was there, right? But note the other side. Now, we what? We're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious what? Appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. <coughs> Literal translation, what does it mean to you? He's coming again. He did already come, and he's coming again. It seems pretty self-evident to me, right? Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So, why did Jesus come? To redeem us. And to do what? To purify us, to set apart a special people. Okay? And what's going to happen in the days ahead? He's going to come again. We'll talk about that in a few moments. Okay? He's going to come again. John 3, 16 and 19. Okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, how many people? Whoever. Okay? There's no definition there. It doesn't say only the elect. Okay? It's whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. This is pretty simple stuff. Jesus, in fact, I don't have it up here, right? But Jesus said... Let the little children come unto me. Why? Because of such is the kingdom of God. It's that simple that even a kid can understand it. This isn't a hard decision. This isn't, i got to climb Mount Everest. This is God, if you would, has dumbed it down for us. Brought it back to, to one decision. You know, for Adam, what was the decision? Don't eat from that one tree. But what did Adam do? Ate from that one tree. This is that simple. No, it's got to be more. No, it's not. This is it. Jesus died on the cross for you. He took away all your sins. 
He who knew no sin became sin for you. All you have to do is what? Believe. Believe. By faith, all you have to do is really in your heart, believe it. That's how simple it is. We want to make it more. We want to add this. We want to add that. We want to say, well, if, if they really believe, they're going to look like this. And all that potentially is true after the fact, okay? But it's that simple. That's the test. Will you or will you not believe God? It doesn't get any easier than that. But Jesus said that this is the condemnation that men loved what? Darkness rather than light. I remember meeting with this one guy who, he was so close to being saved, but he was honest. I mean, it was, if he knew that if he got accepted Christ as a Savior, his life was going to change, and he enjoyed what he was doing. He didn't want to what? He didn't want to change. He got it. I mean, I talked to him. You don't have to give up smoking. You don't have to give up drinking. You don't have to go. You don't do any of that stuff. All you got to do is accept Jesus. Jesus will clean you. He believed it. <laughs> you get it? All right, here's an unbeliever who understood. He believed. He just refused to believe. <laughs> How hard is that? He knew what Jesus could do and what Jesus would do. But he did. He loved darkness more than he loved light, until God done, did something to really get his attention. And then that fruit did come off, and he, he gave Jesus his life. And it was exciting to watch his life change. Because exactly what he knew was going to happen, happened. How fun is that? Okay? The failure. The failure is very sad. But it happens in every single dispensation. Man is a sinner. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And we'll always fall short of the plan of God. And so we're told in the final days, in 2 Thessalonians 2, it says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Jesus said, back in Matthew 24, that he said that, that in those end days, the, because evil is going to abound, the love of many is going to Wax cold. And he said in that same time, he said there would be false prophets who came, false Christs who would come. And these false prophets and false Christs, they would be able to do many miraculous things. So that if it was possible, if it was possible, even the very elect would be deceived. Which means that they're not going to be able to be deceived. But it also means that what these false prophets and false Christs, quote-unquote, are going to be able to do are pretty impressive stuff. And that's what Paul was talking about here. He says that Satan's going to come with all power, signs and lying wonders. There's going to be some impressive stuff that goes on in this world. Let me state this as well. A lot of times we think of the word as anti antichrist, okay? Antichrist is somebody who's going to come in total opposition to Christ. Antichrist is literally a Greek word, antichristos. Okay? Christos is an anointed one. Okay? So it's anointing. Okay? So when you're talking about somebody has an anointing, you're really saying they're Christ. Okay? Not, not saying you're saying it that way, but that's, he was an anointed one. Okay? So that's what it means. 
Auntie is the prefix, okay, the prepositional prefix, which means in place of. In place of. Now, it means then against, because if you're doing something in place of something else, you must not have liked what was already there. Make sense? Okay? But literally it means in place of Christ. So, people are going to be saying, look, there's the Christ. There's the Christ. There are going to be people who are thinking, literally, that what? It really is the Christ. It really is the Messiah. Okay? And so these individuals may even claim to be Jesus. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For just as Eve was deceived by the serpent in the garden, so you very well may be deceived. And someone may come in with another Jesus, another spirit, or another gospel, and you may very well accept it. Think about that. They're going to come in with another Jesus. They're going to come in the name of Jesus. Every time we hear, well, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I believe in Jesus. Oh, praise God, you're my brother. Not necessarily. The Mormons say they believe in Jesus, but I guarantee you it's a different Jesus. Jehovah Witnesses say they believe in Jesus, but I guarantee you it's a different Jesus. It's not my Jesus. My Jesus is God. My Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh. Theirs aren't. They don't believe that he's Yahweh. They believe that he's a brother of Satan or that he's Michael the Archangel. How sad. It's not my Jesus. Some may come with another spirit. The spirit is all over us. We have the anointing of the spirit. Listen, I really honestly, and I, this is for God to, to judge, is not mine. But I don't see any proof in God's word where the Holy Spirit's going to come on people and make them neigh like donkeys. Unless he's trying to make fools out of them. Or having them laughing in the spirit. So instead of teaching God's word, they're going to they're laugh instead. And I can show you the videos on YouTube. Okay? Very sad. But there are quote-unquote Christians who are following after this stuff. And they believe the Spirit is coming in power with signs. Now, I'm not saying it's of the devil. I, don't, I, I can't go there. However, I do wonder. They're going to come with another gospel. So Mormons believe that you're saved by grace. Dot, dot, dot. After all the works that you've done. That dot, dot, dot is a major dot, dot, dot. Because you go to work first. And then God will supply, in the end, the rest. In fact, they've taken Ephesians 2. I wish I could remember the second uh, Nephi is where it's in. And so you can check me out on this in the Book of Mormon. Um, Joseph Smith took second, or Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and twisted it. He didn't divide it straight. And it says, By grace are you saved through faith after all the works that you've done. That's literally what it says. How sad is that? Because the, the Bible was messed up. And God used Joseph Smith to clean it up. That's what the Book of Mormon is. It's not the same gospel, folks. You get it? And in the end time, it's going to come. With Satan's going to come with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. They rejected the truth 
They rejected the gospel. They rejected God. And when that happens, they open themselves up to what? The replacement. Just as our memory verses for this month. Do you not know that to whom you offer yourselves as a slave to obey, you are the one slave to whom you obey, whether of sin leading unto death or of obedience leading unto righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were a slave to sin, you obeyed from the heart the doctrine that which you were taught. And being set free from sin, you became a slave of God. You choose. You choose who you want to be enslaved to. You choose who you will obey. You're really not your own master. The minute you think you become your own master, as they will in these end days, they become the slaves of Satan. There are no spots on the top of the fence. We may think we're straddling, but we're not straddling. You're one side or the other. You're either on God's side or you're on Satan's side. I'm on my side. That's Satan's side. That's okay. Just state it that way. No, I'm not on Satan's side. Yeah, you really are. Because Satan is against God. So the minute you stand against God, you're on Satan's side. There's no, no other sides. So in the end time, they're going to reject it. 2 Timothy 4, 1-4, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. We'll talk about that one next week, right? Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. In the end times, they will not be able to endure sound teaching, sound doctrine. They won't want to hear what the Bible says. But they'll heap up for themselves teachers having itching ears. Folks, I hope I don't die for a good long while. I hope Jesus comes and takes us all. But if I die today, now I'm not, I'm not puffing myself up here, okay? But I, this is a hard thing for me. I'm praying, Lord, raise up some men, some young men, some young men, okay, who, would, who see the need to, to go into the church and to, and to proclaim the, the word, to teach your flock. If I died, what are y'all going to do? I'm dead. I'm down. I'm, I'm on the ground. What are you guys going to do? Are you going to disband? Are you going to put out a, a, a sign on the road? Pastor wanted? Qualif- you know, uh, submit your applications to, to www.whatever? I've been a part of this process. I've seen this happen. And I've seen churches be destroyed by this. Because the people, good churches, picked their pastor, quote-unquote, having itching ears. They brought him in for a week or two. He tickled their ears. They liked what they heard. And so they voted him in. And then he fleeced the flock. Twice. Churches I could tell you about. Where the pastor fleeced the flock. Another one, where he didn't, wasn't necessarily bad, it's just the people floundered. 
and they didn't have any clue what to do. Pray that God is already raising up right now from within us. I believe that, the, that we should have within us, we should have men, older men, younger men, being trained and being raised up. You have to commit yourself. It's a commitment to be willing to be trained, to be willing to be interned. To move on. The time's going to come. I think we're in it. I think we're in the time where people don't want to be in the ministry. It doesn't pay enough. That's straight, right? I'm telling you, the pay's great. The benefits are out of this world. (laughs) Yeah. But if you believe... Look, if I die today, I'm not even 60 years old. Right? But I'm going to live how long? Forever. So I get a bigger piece of the earth, and I die a pauper. Do you get it? Or I get a lesser piece of the earth, and I die a rich man. The day's going to come, and I believe we're in it. People aren't going to want to endorse sound doctrine. We need men who are willing to sacrifice whatever the world has to offer and to proclaim sound doctrine, to be out there, to teach it. The world needs to hear it. They're going to reject it, just like we talked about in Sunday school, right? Jeremiah wasn't a pleasurable ministry he had. He knew what was going to happen to him. He knew they were plotted against him. Isaiah, they stuffed him in a log and cut him in half. It's not always exciting being a prophet of God. But again, if God calls you, the rewards are eternal. How sad it's going to be in these days. 1 Peter 4, 17 18, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? The time has come, Peter said. It's coming. When God's going to begin his judgment, where? Say it. The house of God. Who's that? That's the church. That's us. He's going to do that judgment with us. And if it begins with us, What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? If we've obeyed the gospel, if we have believed in Jesus Christ, right? And God's still going to come, and he's still going to sift through us. What do you think the end will be of those who rejected his plan from the beginning? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? We can answer that question, can't we? Where are they going to appear? Before the white throne judgment of God. We're going to skip past 1 Thessalonians. Oh, no, actually, we're not, because this is our final point. We've got to do this real quick. Okay? So go with me to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. This is the, the, the final sign. The final sign. 1 Thessalonians, beginning of verse 13 of chapter 4. Chapter 4. Men, we talked about this um, a month and a half ago or so in our men's breakfast. The, the snatching away of the church, the harpazo. 
beginning of verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 4. It says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself, listen to what it says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Do you believe in literal interpretation? Yes? So, literally, what do we read? Jesus is going to come back, we saw in Titus 2, right? And when he comes back, he's going to come back himself. And when he comes back, how's he going to come back? Well, you missed one. He's going to descend from heaven. Descend from heaven. Secondly, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. Okay? Remember those. Okay? Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Wait, in the clouds. So when he comes from heaven, he's going to descend in what? The clouds. I mean, we saw that in Acts chapter 1, though we didn't read it. When, remember when Jesus was ascended into heaven, the angels were standing there and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up? The same Jesus whom you've seen go up into the heavens, into the clouds, will so come in like manner. So he's going to come in the clouds, okay? Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. It's comforting. Jesus is coming back. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, his coming back, so will come as a thief in the night. And when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So you women who have been pregnant, do you know the day or the hour that you're going to give birth? You don't. But I guarantee you, when, when you're... Do I got the waddle right? When you, when you, when you, and, and I should have brought a pillow for this moment, right? And, and, no, they, have, they kill me all the time anyway. So and when, when you're kind of not like this, this is one I, I love to go to a woman, a woman and I say... Wow, just think, in two months from now, you're going to be holding a baby. And I usually have a woman, if they had a scabbard in her hand, they'd use it on me. Okay? I better have... Wait, wait, wait. You might be having holding a baby tomorrow. But I don't know when you're going to give birth. But I guarantee the way you look. You're holding the baby in two months. I don't know the day or the hour. You may be doing a week from now. You may be due last week. I don't know, but I know you're ready to burst. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, look, verse 3, For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. The earth's going to be pregnant. Guess what? It is. Can you not see it growing? It's ready to burst. We just don't know the... The time. We don't know the day or the hour, but our Father does. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness, so this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. Remember, go back to John three sixteen and 17 and 18 and 19. But men love darkness rather than what? Light. So what are you loving? Are you loving the darkness or you're loving the light? You're not of the night. You're supposed to be of the day. You're supposed to be of the light. So these things aren't supposed to overtake you. 
But if you're loving the darkness and you're walking in the darkness, then your things, guess what? These things are going to overtake you. Verse 6, Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But those who are of the day are sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we awake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Romans then tells us that this time's going to come, the end of the mystery, where God's going to, again, once again, He's going to um, save all of Israel. Okay? We don't have time to talk about this right now. We've talked about that when we talk about Israel. Okay? But the, the closing of the church is going to come. The, church, the, the time of the, the, the church age is going to come to a close, and when that time comes, all Israel is going to be saved. But here in Revelation chapter 10, and you can go check me out on this, okay? Go... Okay? But that mystery that we talked about was the mystery. Remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago. The mystery of the, the church. Okay? The church is the mystery. And that mystery is going to be completed. Romans chapter 10, verse, or, or, sorry, Revelation 10, verse 7. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel. In fact, I'll tell you what. Go to Revelation for me. Revelation 10. This is very important. That verse is where we're going to head. But I want you to see this in context. Because of what we just read in 1 Thessalonians. Revelation 10, beginning of verse 1. I saw, this is John speaking, right? I saw still another mighty angel. Now the word angel, angelos, doesn't necessarily mean the little cherub that we always picture, okay? It means a messenger. Is literally what the word angelos means, okay? I saw still another mighty angel or messenger coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. Coming down from the heaven, clothed in a cloud. And a rainbow was on his head. What's the rainbow? God's promise. Okay? Where do you ever see the rainbow at? In the sky after it rains. But in the book of Revelation, it's around the throne of God. The rainbow is that which is for God. It's God's special covenant sign. Okay? And so now all of a sudden, this mighty messenger is coming down in the, from heavens in the clouds. A rainbow is on his head. His feet were like the sun in his feet. His face was like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. You can go back right now, right now, but go back to Revelation 1 and check out who that is. Okay? It's very, this is very distinct stuff. He had a little book opened in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, showing ownership. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. Sounds like a mighty shout, doesn't it? And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel... That's the seventh trumpet. When he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. Not right now. You can look at that later and, and see what Paul says about the mystery and about how Paul declared that, that God was giving the mystery now to his servants the prophets. Okay? The apostles and prophets. He's talking about himself. 
Verse 8, Then a voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again, said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, who stands on the sea and the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. He said to me, Take it and eat it, and it will be, it'll make your stomach bitter, but in, sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hands, and I ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Keep going. Because we're going to slide right into chapter 11. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the days. Oops. Yeah. The days, the breath of life from. No, wait, wait. I'm. Whew, where am I at? Uh, rise and measure. I skipped a, 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 a column. Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar and those who were there. But leave out the court, which is outside the temple and do not measure it. For it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for how long? Forty-two months. Does anybody know how long that is? Three and a half years. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days. Do you know how long that is? Three and a half years. Clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and two lampstands standing before the God of earth. So, so what happens? you got this mighty angel. Coming down in the clouds with a mighty shout, yes, wrapped with, the, with the, the, the rainbow. Who does it sound like to you? And he says, when the, the last trumpet, go to 1 Corinthians 15, and you read about the last trumpet. When the last trumpet was about to sound, when the angel puts that trumpet to his breath, his mouth, and he begins to blow. It doesn't come out the end. So you think, I go like this. It doesn't happen. He goes... And it takes three and a half years for the air to come through the, the mouthpiece, through the trumpet, and out the end, because it comes out in chapter 12. Okay? So, when he is about to sound, what, what finishes? What ends? The mystery of God. If I'm right, the mystery of God being the church, which I see in Ephesians chapter 3 and I see in Romans chapter 11, I think that's when the rapture occurs. What do I know occurs right afterwards? God begins to work with Israel. What do I see in Revelation 11? The measuring of the temple. But God, God's going to begin once again to deal with who? Israel. Now, I don't care whether you believe it happens in Revelation 4 or if it happens in Revelation 10. The harpazo, the snatching away of the church. The final sign to the world is going to be the snatching away of the church. That's when that deception is going to kick in. Let me ask you a question. When that happens, is the church, think this one through, when the rapture happens, the harpazo, the snatching away happens, is the entire church going to be taken away? No. I have a no. Anybody want to say a yes? It depends on how you're defining it. That's exactly right. The true church is taken away. However, there are numerous people who call themselves Christians who aren't really, who go to church. They're still going to be what? Be here. What do you think the liberal church is going to say when the true church is taken? Oh, that's not what it was. If it was, would I still be standing here? What would you want to say right off the bat? Whoa, somebody had some bad pizza. 
You know, they're all gone at one time. Hopefully, though, you have enough teaching, right? And there's people out there with enough teaching. I like to tell them about the end times. So when it happens, they say to themselves, what? Oops, I missed it. And they turn around and get saved. And we know, and I don't have time for all this, that there will be people there. I don't have time to go through these um, because communion, <coughs> communion is very important. But it's very important for us. Do you honestly seek to interpret the Bible literally or according to your own desires? What do you desire? Do you want it to say? Do you have itching ears? I hope not. Have you passed a test? Have you repented, changed the way you thought, confessed your sin, and called upon the name of the Lord for salvation? If you've gone to church all your life, I did that for many years, and I didn't do it. I didn't know. I didn't understand. Yeah, you're saying yes, right? I mean, we get it. If you haven't, if you're here today, I can't imagine that you're here. But if you are here today and you haven't done that, please call upon the name of the Lord. God's plan for this dispensation is to work through the church. How would you describe your stewardship of his plan? What part in the church are you playing? Any? Are you serving through the church? Okay. Do you believe that Jesus will return for the church? Are you prepared to meet him? Finally, is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Now, um, Ace, Liam, good, turn it off. We're, we're done. <laughs>